Preaching through Exodus chapters 3 and 4 in the same sermon is somewhat overwhelming. There is an enormous amount of truth that is in these chapters, and it is with some sadness that I am going to move quickly through it. In fact, I believe that Exodus chapter 3 is one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible. But, I believe that there is enormous value in understanding why each of these pieces are included in this book. And Exodus chapter 4 contains a few of the most confusing verses in all of Scripture. And I think unless you understand how these pieces fit together, it becomes far more difficult to see why God inspired not just the passages that are easy to understand, not just the passages that inspire us, but also the passages that seem to be confusing, that we struggle to understand. And so my hope for today is that by covering more ground in a single sermon, we'll see how the whole fits together. I believe there's enormous value in understanding why each of these little pieces are included in this book. And so I want to encourage you, turn with me to the book of Exodus. And today we're going to look at Exodus chapters 3 and 4. Exodus is the second book of your Bible. It's right towards the beginning. And I want to encourage you to turn there and follow along with me. I'm going to read all of these two chapters in the course of this message. And I want to encourage you to read with me. And so you can actually see the word of God and see the things that I'm going to say that hopefully, I believe, are, are from the word of God itself. Last week, we saw the silent providence of God in the suffering of God's people. We saw that they were enslaved and their baby boys were slaughtered, and yet God was at work to save them. We saw Moses protected and prepared, and now we see Moses' first encounter with God. Today, we're going to see four things. We're going to see the name of God, the signs of God, the wrath of God, and the worship of God. The name of God, the signs of God, the wrath of God, and the worship of God. The reason I believe it's important that we see this together in a single message is that it ultimately foreshadows what happens with God's people later in this book. So as the invisible God shows himself to Moses in the burning bush, as he reveals his name and promises to save, just a few verses later in the text of Exodus, we see that God threatens to kill Moses. Does that seem strange to you? If it does, I want to encourage you to think of this. God leads his chosen people out of Egypt in this story. He rescues them from Pharaoh by taking them through the Red Sea. And he reveals his law to them. And then they rebel and he threatens to kill them, his chosen people. And so both with Moses and with God's people, after having an encounter with God, they are both threatened and in mortal danger from the God who saved them. I think it's important to also recognize 
both of these encounters, both of these dangers, both of these threats ultimately end with the worship of God. And I want to remind you, believe it or not, the New Testament also contains warnings for Christians, for believers, that we are to walk in obedience or God will discipline us. Paul even says some in the Corinthian church died because of God's discipline. And the writer of Hebrews sternly warns believers of falling away. And the warnings of Jesus to his followers are often frightening. So if we are going to pay attention to all of Scripture, we need to see these things today in Exodus. And we need to seek the Lord to see how they apply to our lives. My prayer for today is that we will recognize the hope that comes through God's salvation, the danger that comes from rejecting that salvation, and that we will cling to God's promises in obedient worship. After 400 years of silence and suffering, God speaks. Let's hear together what he said to Moses as we look at the name of God. Look with me at Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mount of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Before God uses his name, He shows Moses in a picture who he is. He is a fire that does not need fuel. He is holy, and that holiness is dangerous to sinful man. But it is beautiful and awe-inspiring. You get a sense of its danger when Moses said he is afraid to look at God and hides his face. You get a sense of his danger when God says... Take off your sandals because you are standing on holy ground. And yet you get a sense of its attractiveness, of its incredible beauty as Moses glimpses it and wants to understand it. That's why Moses and the writer of Hebrews both describe God as a consuming fire. Moses will say that later in this book. The writer of Hebrews obviously says that in the New Testament. And I don't want you to be confused because here's the thing. The fire that Moses saw right here does not consume the bush. And that shows that God does not need anything. But God's holiness will consume sin and destroy it. And that's why God warns Moses to stay away. From this image that showed God's power... God promised to deliver Israel. And so I want to encourage you, look at verses 7 through 12 with me. Verses 7 through 12. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt 
and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land, out, out of that land to a good and a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. From this image that shows God's power... God reveals his name. Moses, naturally, having been appointed by God, wants to understand this plan better. And so look at verses 13 through 22 with me. Verses 13 through 22. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered through all generations Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord, our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. God repeats his promise of deliverance to Moses. And in the repetition, he tells Moses his name. And the name of God can be as confusing as it is revealing. What does God mean when he reveals his name as I am? Well, at least in part, it means that God is eternal and unchanging. He has no beginning and no end. He is not like us. He does not depend on anything for his existence. Hunger never threatens him. He is never tired. 
He does not age and become forgetful. He does not grow weak. He always has been and always will be. As the songwriter said, we blossom and flourish like leaves on the tree. We wither and perish, but not changeth thee. This is profoundly encouraging. Because this is the God who promises our salvation. He is able to save because he is eternal, unchanging, and does not need anything to accomplish our salvation. His purposes always come to pass. He is never frustrated. The bedrock of reality is not the suffering we currently experience, but God's eternal, unchanging joy. And in His joy, He has sent a Savior. It is important to realize that Jesus points back to this passage and says that He is, I am. In John 10.36, Jesus said, Before Abraham was, I am. And people wanted to stone him for blasphemy because he claimed to be God. He is making the same claim that God made when he showed himself in the burning bush. And when he demonstrated that he had the ability to save his people because of his name. He lacks nothing. So through his name, God was saying to Moses, the salvation of Israel is as sure as if it's already happened. And just as sure as the Exodus was before it happened, so our salvation is sure because it depends not on us, but on Jesus Christ, the great I am. You can trust him. He will never be surprised. He will never change, and He will not fail. But many times, in spite of God's awesome power, we struggle to trust Him, and so did Moses. So look with me at verses 1-12 through of chapter 4. We're going to see the signs of God, or the miracles of God. We've seen the name of God, now we're going to see the signs of God. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it. And it became a staff in his hand that they may believe. That the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. And if they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. God shows his sign in God shows his power in three signs. The taming of a serpent, 
the curing of a disease and turning water to blood. These signs might seem kind of weird and kind of random, but they are full of meaning both to Moses and the Egyptians and to us as well. Each of these signs would have been especially meaningful in Egypt. In fact, all of the plagues of Egypt demonstrated powerfully that Yahweh was the true God and greater than anything that the Egyptians worshipped. Pharaoh's scepter, which he used as a symbol of power and authority, had a snake on top of it. So if you remember seeing the movie Aladdin, you remember Jafar has that terrifying staff with a cobra on the top of it. That actually is very similar to the staff that Pharaoh had and used. And he used it to demonstrate his power. So by God turning a shepherd's staff into a snake, and then turning that snake back into a shepherd's staff is showing visually his ability to make Pharaoh powerless. I believe he's saying, I made you what you are, and I can make you completely powerless. Leprosy was as shocking and devastating in ancient times as cancer is to us. If you are diagnosed with any type of cancer, it'll send chills through your spine and twist your stomach in knots. If someone came and demonstrated that he could instantly remove cancer, we would listen to him in a heartbeat. And so both the Egyptians and the Hebrews would pay attention to anyone who could heal leprosy. And the Nile was not only literally a source of life for the Egyptians, it was where their crops grew because it was the only natural source of water in the, in the desert. But it was also worshipped by the Egyptians. So they believed it was a source of spiritual life. To take water that gave life and turn it to blood showed that there is no life apart from the one true God. I believe that these signs have even more significance if you look at them in light of the rest of the Bible. So Genesis records that Satan appeared as a serpent. And God promised that one day the serpent would be crushed. And so in Exodus, God is showing his power over the serpent. In the same way, sickness and death came through sin in Exodus. But God shows that he can provide healing. Let me be clear. Ultimate healing for all believers will not come until Jesus returns. Paul said all of creation groans waiting for that day. And sometimes God gives physical healing and we pray for it and we should. But sometimes in his perfect wisdom, God says no. But it's not because he isn't able to heal. He is showing here in Exodus that he has power over our worst diseases. And finally, the last sign shows us that God is deadly serious about sin. Throughout Old Testament, 
the blood of sacrifices is used to cover our sin, to save us from the wrath of God who is righteously angry, who will punish sinners. And that blood, when it's used as a covering for sin, shows the cost and the price of our sin. That it takes a life to cover what we have done. And I believe here in Exodus, as God takes a source of life and turns it into blood, He is demonstrating and warning that if you do not trust in Him, you will face His wrath. There is no life outside of the one true God. And you can see that this is actually true with Moses as we look in just a moment and see the wrath of God. Look with me again at Exodus, and we're going to look at verses 10 down through verse 26 of this chapter. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. And you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you will say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place, on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Moses attempts to talk his way out of obeying the Lord, but eventually agrees to do as God has told him. But then we have one of the strangest passages in all of the Bible. What on earth is God doing about to kill Moses right after he's commissioned him? And remember, we have just seen God reveal his name and show his power. He has just sent Moses back to Egypt to save his people. 
But now he is ready to kill him. Why? The reason is because Moses had rejected God's covenant with Abraham and was living in disobedience. Remember, God told Abraham after he had promised to bless him, he and every male in his family needed to be circumcised as a sign of the covenant. And every male ever born into his family had to continue that covenant sign. God had promised to bless the entire world through Abraham and through his children. And this sign, circumcision, was an unforgettable reminder that God was using their children to fulfill his promise. But with the sign came this warning in Genesis 17, 14. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And by not circumcising his son, Moses was in essence saying, I don't believe that you will bless the world through my family. I am not part of that promise. And his rejection of God's promise, his disobedience, put him in danger of the wrath of God. One of the commentators that I read, a man named Philip Riken, pointed out that God is showing Moses that the wages of sin is death. If you choose to live outside of the promises of God, there is no hope for you. This is exactly what the New Testament still says. God is deadly serious. We either flee to the cross of Jesus Christ for forgiveness under the shed blood of Christ, or we face God alone to answer for the things that we have done. And the wages of our sin is death. Riken also points out that this shows how important baptism is, which is what Christians do to show that they have trusted Christ. The New Testament makes it clear We become part of God's people through faith in Jesus Christ. Circumcision or uncircumcision does not matter anymore. But we do have a sign that we use to show that we are part of God's people. And it is baptism. Baptism says Jesus died for me and I will live for him. And it's important to say this. I don't want to cause any confusion. Neither circumcision or baptism saves anyone. It's not the sign and it never has been. But just as circumcision was the ritual that showed a man was part of God's people in the Old Testament, so baptism is the ritual that shows your faith in the New Testament. It's the first thing you should do as a believer because you are saying, I believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died for me and rose again. If you don't follow through and say publicly that you believe in Jesus Christ, it puts into question whether or not you actually believe. This chapter also shows powerfully that before God sets up his covenant with the entire nation, that there is no life outside of God's plan for salvation. Later in the book, when God goes through Egypt and strikes the firstborn, he gives instructions that a lamb is to be slaughtered and some of its blood put on the doorposts of every Israelite house. There was no protection outside of the blood of the lamb. 
And this passage shows that there is no protection outside of God's covenant with Abraham. And even Moses is no exception. Moses' life is saved when his wife circumcises their son. And so his family is brought back into obedience with the covenant of Abraham. And then Moses continues his return to Egypt and the plan of God revealed begins to take place. And I think it's important to realize that God knew this whole episode would happen while he was talking to Moses at the burning bush. He didn't start talking to Moses and then later realize that there was a problem with his family, that he was living in disobedience. This, too, was part of the plan all along. God is never surprised. He doesn't make any mistakes. His plan wasn't almost derailed right after it started. This was always part of the plan. And I think it's important to realize for us as well as, as New Testament Christians that as, as God grows us and develops us, there will be times when it seems like we are in grave danger. And in those times, we need to rest that the God who began our salvation will see it through to the end. Now let's look at how how God's plan continues here in Exodus in verse 27 and following. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. And Aaron spoke all of the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses And did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel. And that he had seen their affliction. They bowed their heads. And worshipped. This is the last point today. The worship of God. So we have seen. The name of God. The signs of God. The wrath of God. And now see the worship of God. Verse 31 is one of my favorites in Exodus because it shows that people who have not had hope for four centuries are moved to a place of worship because they know God has heard their prayers. And it's my prayer that we would be moved to worship right now because of what God has said in his word. So what do we do with these two chapters of Exodus? I think a lot of people believe that if God is love, then it's not really a big deal if you believe in Jesus or if you live your life the way God wants you to. But this is an issue of life and death. First, you must believe in Jesus to be saved. There is no other way. Jesus himself said so in John 3.36. He said, whoever believes in the Son of God has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son of God shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Jesus, who loved us so much that he gave his life on the cross, said that. There is no greater love 
than what Jesus did for us. And if he is willing to speak of the wrath of God for people who reject him, we have to come to grips with it. There is no other way to be saved. Second, if you say that you believe in Jesus, you must obey him. Notice in that verse I just read, John 3.36, it said that people who believe in the Son of God have eternal life. And you would think that it would say people who don't believe don't have eternal life. But that's not what it says. John makes it clear that to believe is to obey. There is no belief without obedience. So if you believe in the Son of God and trust Him for salvation, you will obey His teaching. In his letter, 1 John, the apostle says it this way, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So today, if you do not know Christ, let me urge you to trust him and to show your faith in him by being baptized. Call out to him to save you. Jesus said he will never reject someone who calls out to him in faith. Do not wait. Call out to him today. And then in obedience, demonstrate your faith by being baptized. If you are a Christian today and you believe what Jesus said about there being salvation and no one else, let me ask you, are you telling people about the hope that we have in Christ? And if you see someone who claims to be a Christian but does not live like it, will you love that person enough to ask them if they really know the Lord? Professing Christians who live in disobedience and those who reject the faith and do not know the Lord both live in real, eternal danger. If you already know the Lord, let me ask you today, are you living in obedience? Is the Holy Spirit convicting you of sin? In just a few moments, we will be taking communion and the scriptures teach us to examine ourselves so that we do not take communion in an unworthy manner. Let me urge you to spend a moment in prayer and to speak with the Lord. But finally, let me end with this. Thank God for verse 31 of Exodus chapter 4. The whole point of Exodus is the redeemed people of God worshiping their good God. There is hope for the broken. We can worship because God has made provision for our sin through Jesus Christ because He died for us and rose from the dead. John also writes, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And there is joy in forgiveness. In perhaps the greatest song written in the English language, John Newton expressed this truth like this. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. As we celebrate God's grace now, in communion, let us worship Him.